This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the Wharton School in San Francisco, this is Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Carl Ulrich. Welcome to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm the Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation and product design. I co-host Launchpad with my friend Rob Connybeer, and Rob is Managing Director of Shasta Ventures, a leading Silicon Valley venture capital firm, and Rob and I switch off hosting duties each week. We generally broadcast from the Wharton School campus in San Francisco, and that's in fact where I am today. The main idea behind Launchpad is that while Rob and I both understand and believe that entrepreneurship is intrinsically risky. After all, you're doing something that hasn't been done before. We believe that there are some tools, principles, and methods that you can use to increase your chances of success. So our approach to the show is to each week engage several entrepreneurs, have them on the show. These are people who are themselves dealing with the challenges of launching and growing a business. And we look for opportunities to underscore things that you can learn and apply them to your own to your own activities. Some of you are yourselves entrepreneurs and certainly the insights from the show should be directly relevant to you. Some of you are thinking you might want to be an entrepreneurs and we really want to give you a very realistic view into the world of entrepreneurship. And some of you just interested in what's new out there in the world of business. So we hope to have something for everybody. But to start off the show, I'm joined on the line by Evan Rosenbaum, who's the co-founder and chief product officer at Genies. Evan, thanks for joining us. Uh, great to be here. All right. So first things first, let's point our listeners to your website. You've got a great domain. It's genies.com, and that's spelled G-E-N-I-E-S.com, genies.com. So if you're someplace safe and want to look at a web browser, you can uh, check out genies at genies.com. Evan, I believe you are a Wharton grad. Is that right? Yes, I graduated in 2014 from but Wharton I, undergrad. But I don't remember ever having you in class. Is that also right? I, I never took a class with you, but I was in the venture initiation program, and I did do a lot of the Wharton entrepreneurship programs. Great. Well, it's it's really nice to have our alums on the show, especially those who are doing really interesting things. So, Evan, give us the elevator pitch for Genies. So, Genies creates a 3D motion picture quality avatar of yourself that looks and thinks just like you. We have an application out for iPhone and Android where you can talk to friends using your avatar. And we also integrate avatars into other companies' apps. So you can think of Genies as the best way to create an avatar that looks and thinks just like you and then use it both in our first party iPhone and Android app and to put into your own apps and services. We have an innovative process where you can build a Genie that's patented, where you can pick from 50 million different combinations of character assets and it comes out looking just like you. In our testing, we found that Gen Z and Millennials connect with their genie much more than other avatars on market. 
All right, Evan. Well, you know, our listener base is definitely not Gen Z. So we're going to have to circle back and explain some of this stuff. So let's start with, I think most people know what an avatar is, but maybe just reiterate what an avatar is. And then in what settings are avatars actually useful to you, to a, to a, to a consumer? So an avatar is a digital version of yourself. Mm -hmm. So on Instagram, rather than using a photo of yourself, you could have a computer-generated version of you. You can think of it as your best self. Now, in our Genies app, you can use your avatar to talk with friends. So rather than having to FaceTime with someone and have to show your face, maybe at not an opportune time, you can use your avatar to enter into a chat back and forth. So let's say you and I are chatting in the Genies app. We chat using both text and also actions. So for example, I could high five your genie, or we could do a playful action together, a happy action, and so forth. Now, you can really use an avatar anywhere that you're trying to connect with your users. So for example, an airline can integrate in an avatar into the booking process. Rather than just picking your seat on a boring seat map, you could see your avatar or your genie flying into the airline seat. Or you could use it as a profile picture on a social network. You could use it in an augmented reality app, where if you're in Times Square, you could see your genie dancing in Times Square and share that on the social media. You could use it in a video game and so forth. All right, so, and, and, I, and then the second question is, tell us a little bit more about the segment that this most resonates with. So, we target, so the Genies app itself is targeted to people who are 13 to 30 and also people who are over 40 because we enable the avatar to be your best self. So we have those two demographics who are heavily using the Genies app. And then for using the Genies avatar inside of your apps, we're targeting a wide number of industries. For example, video games airlines, social networks. So there is a wide sector that you can use a genie avatar in. Yeah, so there's so much interest in there. And, and clearly, we're going to have to circle back on the two sides of this market because, or the two, the, the two stakeholders or constituents you've got to serve, the application creator and then the end user. But I can't let you describe those demographics without asking why is it the 30 to 40 year olds don't find this useful because they already look so great <laughs> probably <laughs> but, well <laughs> because younger people grow up on social media yeah and they like having a way to connect with friends without necessarily having to show themselves yeah well an older demographic likes the idea of seeing their best self maybe it reminds them of when they were younger Mm, that's super curious. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit, not having used it, and I, I would guess 98% of our listeners uh, haven't used it. And so I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what the experience is like. Is it, is it, I mean, there's that, what do they call it? The Valley of, ah, what's it called? The Valley of Creepiness, something like, if it's, if it's very gestural and cartoon, it's not creepy. If it's super realistic, 
it's not creepy. But sort of in the middle, there's this zone of creepiness with with virtual reality and with with avatars. Um, what's the experience like of interacting with it? So we spent over two years developing our avatar, and we tested dozens of different uh, head-to-body proportions, level of uh, being realistic, and so forth. Uh, so you can think of us as essentially developing a Pixar character mm-hmm. of yourself, where the, if you look at a photo of someone and then you look at their gene, it's uncanny how much it looks like them. But at its heart, it's still an animated cartoon character of yourself. So we do not believe, for example, in doing facial recognition. So it doesn't feel like some of the other avatars on market where it's, let's say, a photo of you that becomes Mm. an avatar. But rather, you can think of it as if Pixar was developing a Pixar character of yourself. All right. That's awesome. And... And I th- you use that term, uncanniness. I think that is the coined term, is that valley of uncanniness or something like that, where you you got to be careful about not being creepy. And it sounds like you're you're just on the side of it that it is more a little bit more cartoonish, uh, but still attractive and interesting. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I want to now turn back to the origin story. I suppose that back when you were at Wharton, if you took an entrepreneurship class, the professor almost certainly said that what you need to do is start with a pain point or a need out there in the world. Yet this this doesn't seem like that kind of venture. Tell us the origin story. Where did this opportunity come from? So uh, me and my co-founder, Akash Nagam, met through mutual friends at Wharton. And we started working on numerous apps together. And one thing led to another. About two years ago, we were beginning to look into ways that we could enable people to connect more closely with one another. And that led us to begin working on how could we create an avatar that looked like you. And we iterated through that to the iteration of genies that we have today. All right. So um, that, but did you have in mind at, at that time a way to make money or any kind of notion of the, how this could be a business? So that is a unique position that genies is in. We actually just announced about two months ago that we signed an exclusive partnership with Gucci. Mm -hmm. So we have a license. We're the exclusive provider of avatar clothing for Gucci. And right now we're pursuing two lines of monetization. The first one is through brand partnerships, where we let you as a clothing brand offer your clothing for genies. So I could be wearing a Gucci pair of jeans or a Gucci top. The second way is through our software developer kit, which lets you put your genie or lets you put genies into your app. So app developers can come to us and pay us to put genies into their apps. So that's super interesting. And and just to clarify, Evan, so effectively someone like Gucci, the idea would be if I if I'm wearing my Gucci loafers in my avatar, that's essentially a form of of advertising for them. Right. I mean, that's yeah. why they would be interested. OK, got it. And then on the on the application side, if I want to use this feature in my app, I have to pay you in some way, either through the software development kit 
or through licensing or some other mechanism. Yeah. So that's how you you monetized. Did you did the two of you think that through from the beginning, or were you just thinking, wait, wouldn't it be cool if we could if we could create an avatar? We were trying to create the best possible avatar in the world. And mm -hmm. as we were going about that process, we began to get approached by brands who wanted to offer clothing for genies. And we got approached by developers who wanted to put genies into their apps. So our monetization streams came about very organically. Mm -hmm. They weren't, we didn't imagine them at the outset. And in fact, we were surprised when that happened. And then we began to scale up and focus on those streams. Cool. All right. So let's take the let's work on the two sides of this now. So uh, if we look at the customer, the end user, I'm sorry, the end user, the individual consumer, um, can they get started without there being any application? Is there any utility to it other than just sort of the, the novelty of creating the avatar? So as a consumer, you download our iPhone and Android app. You create this character that looks like you. You then can use it to chat with friends. So if you're also on Genies, you and I can then enter into a chat on our app. Mm. And in February, we're introducing an iMessage and a WhatsApp keyboard. So let's say that you don't have the Genies app and I wanna send you my character high-fiving someone. I can then send that in iMessage or WhatsApp or on Facebook Messenger. And you do that essentially by creating an animated GIF and then just yeah. sending it. Yeah, I see. Very cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, great. So, I mean, that was going to be one of the key questions because you somehow have to compel someone to get started with this and you have a chicken and egg problem, which is not everyone, it isn't always useful on every application. So you have to provide some initial feature set that makes this thing useful to people other than just a novelty. And it sounds like you've cracked that in an interesting way. Yes, and that's, we find that people love sharing their genie. And we're also gonna be coming out with additional ways for you to use your genie on social media mm. later this year. You know, I just want to, one other question on that front, on the process of creating the genie. Did you, how did you come, how did you come up with the best way to create my likeness if you're not starting with images? Did do you have some kind of taxonomy? It's a very interesting question. How do you think about categorizing and creating a taxonomy of human appearance? So we actually built about a year ago, technology that would take a photo of you and automatically create your genie. But we did product testing on it and we found that it didn't resonate with users. Mm. Because if you upload a photo of yourself and it spits out a genie, it doesn't, you don't feel ownership in it and it might highlight your flaws. Yeah. So we find that users enjoy creating their genes. You feel ownership in it. In fact, the median time that users spend creating a genie is over 20 minutes. Wow. which is a huge amount of time. Now, what we've done is try to focus on as many areas of physiology and anatomy that we can to let you create something that looks like you. For example, you start out very simple. You pick your head shape, your hairstyle, your skin color. Then we get more granular. We let you add freckles. You can add a watch, eyeglasses, uh, top, bottom, rings, earrings, and so forth. We try to make genies very, very expressive. 
So let's say you're known for wearing a certain kind of T-shirt. We have a very large library of assets, and we try to make sure that we have something that lets your genie stand out. Wow, it's really interesting. Okay, so I would have guessed that, well, I'm not going to guess. I'm just going to ask you. It, the the need here is fairly intangible. It You sort of stumbled across the monetization. Tell us a little bit about the financing journey and how did you get started? Did you have any money to do it? And at what point were you able to convince someone else to give mm-hmm. you money? We've raised about $25 million to date. All right, and- hold that. I just got to interrupt because I bet no one was expecting that sentence to come out of your mouth at this point in the conversation. So I just want to make sure everyone heard that $25 million in venture capital for this opportunity. So I'm, I'm guessing that check wasn't written on the first day. No, we've raised from, we've raised numerous rounds and we have a lot of the large tech VC firms, including new enterprise associates, NEA, Mavron and foundation capital. Then we have a good number of celebrity investors, for example, the pop singer Sean Mendez, uh, the chain smokers, 50 Cent, and Offset. We've been able to show how genies can become a huge business by being the dominant avatar in the world, how you can monetize a brand, how you can have it in other apps, how you can have our communication platform be a fundamentally new way that people engage on their phones. So, so Evan, you can't make a statement like that without giving us a little more backstory. So how, how do you get 50 cent to invest in a start in a tech startup? So we have a program where we create genies for celebrities. For example, uh, Cardi B recently posted her genie on Instagram. Russell Westbrook, the basketball player did. So we've been able to show how genies can be a new engine of expression. And that's how we've approached investment by showing the market potential in that. So, but, but in terms of those celebrities themselves, I think a lot of entrepreneurs would be super curious as to how you might engage entrepreneurs. And, and you just, if I understood correctly, you in effect engage their vanity by creating an avatar for them of them is that is that the way you did it yes and also showing the market potential in genies and that the potential market size and how we're what we're creating around the genies brand but is that is that somehow related to them and their celebrity or is that just a point that would be of interest to any investor. I'm not sure I quite understand the market size point. So so we are able to show some of our celebrity investors how we're for enabling them to connect more with their fans through ah. their genie. For example, when Offset posted his genie, his genie on Instagram got a lot more engagement than a typical post from Offset. Mm. So we've been able to craft a pitch that shows how genies can be an engine of expression. Super cool. Super interesting. Okay. Now talk a little bit about the challenges of, of, of creating, of, of taking a feature like this and getting it into a partner app. So tell us what the possibilities are and how you've gone about 
making it possible for others to use genies in their applications? So we have a software development kit, which means that if you're an iPhone developer and you want to put genies in your app, we have a library that you can embed into your application. So let's say that you are an upstart social media company. You can come to us and we can give you the tools to offer 3D animated avatars inside of your app. All right. And just for our listeners, the uh, I'm going to teach you an acronym for those who aren't tech people. SDK is the Software Developer Kit, and that's often the way you get something into into third parties. You make it easy for them to to write your feature into their into their code. Do you is that also a way you monetize? You you mentioned yes, yeah. So and is that the only way you monetize? In other words, for the for a software developer, let's say I have an app and I want to use Genies. Is the only way, the only thing I have to do is pay for the kit, or do I also pay some kind of fee? So you pay a usage fee for mm -hmm. the software development kit, but we also enable you to monetize your usage of Genies through, for example, you can offer branded clothing in your app. Mm. So from Genie's perspective, we're monetizing the SDK, and we're enabling our SDK partners to monetize their integration with Genies. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, XM Channel 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I'm speaking with Evan Rosenbaum, who's the co-founder and Chief Product Officer of Genies. Um, Evan, so let's turn. I want to just come to closure on the financing point. So you raised some money from from uh, venture capital. And but that was in in two stages. What did you do on the on the on the very first stage? How did you raise that capital and how big a project was it? So our first round was approximately three million. Mm -hmm. And we raised that based on an MVP or minimum viable product that me and my co-founder built. And we were able to show the market need based on that. And that's when we raised our first institutional round. What what kind of market, you said you were able to show the market need, what kind of proof point were you able to establish? We were able to show engagement amongst Gen Z and millennials in terms of retention, time spent in app, and our K factor. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, where, where are you based, Devin? Uh, we're based in Venice, California. We also have offices in San Francisco and in Europe. Okay, so maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, about getting the tech built. Um, uh, you're in, you're in Los Angeles or the LA area, which is you know not not the the epicenter of of tech, but certainly has a thriving tech community. Talk a little bit about how you've assembled the techno technical resources uh, to get to get this tech built. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of our engineering in our San Francisco office, uh, but we also do do some product. We do product in LA as well. We actually have a lot of people who relocated from San Francisco to our LA office who have been with us since the beginning. But we do find that LA does have a thriving tech scene. For example, we're located a quarter of a mile away from Google's office in LA, Snapchat's office, 
and a lot of other tech companies. It's referred to as Silicon Beach, and it's very quickly expanding as a major tech hub. Well, that's that's a ringing endorsement, and uh, and glad 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 to hear it. Give us a sense, Evan, of how it's going. How how do you measure? What are the key performance measurements, and how do you think about traction? And maybe just give us a, a sense of how it's going. So right now, we're focused on offering genies into other users, into other applications, while in addition to continuing to build up our app. So we look at the number of genies that are created, how many apps we're integrated into, and how much people are sharing content of their genies. Mm-hmm. All right, Evan. Now I'm going to ask you a, 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 maybe a hard question, but I, I and and maybe a bad question. I don't know. But my my uh, one of my staff people who prepared some notes and asked me generate some questions for me says here, or just in my notes, it says that you previously founded a group chat app that didn't work out so well. And I guess the first question is, is that true? And then the more substantive question is, what did you learn from that first effort that enabled you to be successful on the second? Yes. So the group chat app was called Blend, and it's actually the same company that Genies is today. Mm-hmm. We, we took the lessons that we learned from Blend, and that led into Genies, because that's where we saw that users were looking for an avatar to engage with. So as a company, we gained a lot of skills in terms of how to effectively develop a product. We operate very leanly. We frequently test our, we test our assumptions before we build something. We see how what we built performs on market. So we've taken all of the skills or everything that we've learned from Blend and we've rolled that into Genies to create a much improved product that resonates much more with users. And and maybe just another layer on that was it just you and your co-founder when you when you made that that decision to shift gears or had you already engaged investors when you made that strategic change? Uh, we did have we did have funding raised at that time. Okay, so that's a that's a pretty interesting um, situation because you could have just folded the tent and and started over. And what maybe how did you think about that choice as, hey, you tried something, it didn't work, you'd taken other people's money. How did you think about whether you should keep the team together with the same investors and try something else versus just fold the tent and start over? So we believe strongly in our team from an engineering design and market research perspective. We knew that if at that time we had ended the company and we would start a new one, we would have lost some percent of the So we made a decision that it was better to keep everyone together so we could iterate more quickly rather mm-hmm. than go through the process of ending a company and starting a new one. Yeah, probably to generalize the insight here, it would be if essentially all the resources that you had assembled would be relevant to the new opportunity, it makes a lot of sense for there to be continuity in just changing direction. If, on the other hand, you had to excise, you know, two-thirds of the staff and and move location and change equipment or something like that, change a lot of the resources, it would make sense to, to, to reboot. But it's just interesting that you did it that way, and I just wanted to underscore that, that principle. 
Exactly. We, yeah. we were able to keep our team in place. And that was our main motivation for doing for doing that move. All right, Evan. Well, this it, we're out of time, but I think we've given our listeners something they didn't know anything about, probably, uh, because the, most of them are probably not in this segment. But I hope everyone will go to the go to the App Store and check out Genies. It's G E N I E S. That's also the name in the App Store, right, Evan? Yes. Okay. So, Evan, thanks so much for joining us. It's super interesting. Thank you for having me. I'm Carl Ulrich. Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.